What's popping, everyone? New intro. I don't know if I like it. What's popping? Um, welcome to the Tale of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Arib Umar. Um, yeah, uh, this is a solo podcast where I talk about everything sports. This is also a branch of the Flea Flicker podcast. There, I normally talk about solely football. Here, I want to talk about a little bit more. I have a pretty loaded show sheet for you guys today. Um, I want to talk about The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary that just ended. And I want to talk about the GOAT debate and my opinions on that. And I also want to spin off to the PGA Golf Tournament uh, between Tom Brady and I think it was Phil Nicholson and Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods. And then I want to hit on an Aaron Rodgers press conference he gave, I think it's around two weeks ago now, and finish off with a film analysis, my first film analysis ever on Joan Rager, the wide receiver from TCU that was drafted in the first round by the Philadelphia Eagles. So I have a pretty loaded show seat. So let's jump right into it. I want to talk about The Last Dance. So The Last Dance was the ESPN Michael uh, Michael Jordan documentary. And they say it's also a documentary about the Chicago Bulls um, from the 19, the 1990s Chicago Bulls where they went on two separate three-peats. Um I don't know. It's definitely more of a Michael Jordan documentary. And Michael Jordan, well, it's pretty obvious. It's primarily based around Michael Jordan, seeing as he's in in almost every single episode. And he had a huge input into the creation of the documentary. So this is definitely a Michael Jordan documentary. And before I say anything about this, I just want to preface this by saying it was phenomenal. The filmmaking was amazing. There's so many storylines I just didn't know about, like, I just didn't know that, for example, this sort of darker and sadder one, but I didn't know Michael Jordan's dad was murdered. I, that's just something I didn't know. I didn't realize that the, the flu game was actually because of, or at least it's claimed to have been uh, because of tainted pizza that he got in Salt Lake City during a finals game um, with the Utah Jazz. I didn't realize that like Steve Kerr's dad was also murdered. Like Those things, like that's... Shout out to the, the creators of the documentary because that's pretty interesting. And they, I think they really brought up those stories really well. The, all the interviews are amazing. I was kind of sad seeing Kobe Bryant actually in one, a couple of the, the interviews they had. Um, I really like the entire filmmaking process of this and the fact that they got so many people to interview. I mean, they had President Obama in, in this documentary. They had Phil Jackson, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. They had... They had everyone, and it was really great to see that. But recently, there's been a lot of a lot of people calling out the documentary, and it's mainly former players that played with Michael Jordan, and it's players like Horace Grant who are saying that it's blatant lies that he was the source of the Sam Smith Jordan Rules book, and that was a, a book where it had pretty personal, in-depth information about the Chicago Bulls locker room, and there was obviously some sort of inside source. And Horace Grant, uh, Michael Jordan pretty much accuses Horace Grant of being the leak for this book. And again, that was never proven. And Horace Grant did not take to that lightly. He called him out pretty like strongly on social media about how he wasn't the leak. And even though he's friends with the author of the Jordan Rules book, he never would leak and never go back on his teammates. And a couple other lies or quote-unquote blatant lies were that the the pizza caused the flu game and it was tainted. Apparently the pizza joint also said that just never happened. We wouldn't taint food. And that's another thing that's sort of questionable. And then recently, and I say recently, but this is about a week ago now, Scottie Pippen, who the greatest number two player of all time, he's a Hall of Famer, he called out, uh, Michael Jordan, or he's, he, he didn't officially call him up, but it's said that he thinks that his portrayal in The Last Dance was bad. Just really, really poor. And, I mean, he's not wrong. He make, he, he's kind of looking, he's kind of looked upon as like a weakling almost in the documentary. He's, he's talked about as in like, oh, why did he not, you know, he's being selfish. Why did he not come in for the last second play to win a playoff game. Why didn't he, you know, do all these things? Why did he hold out and why did he not get his injury, his ankle injury treated earlier? 
and instead he wanted more money. Like he's definitely tr- like looked down in almost a negative way, you could say. But when you look at overall the documentary, everyone's calling it biased. And guess what? It is biased. Michael Jordan had a huge input in the creation of the documentary. I mean, if you get if you get Michael Jordan to talk about the events and you, you're able to sit down with him, he's going to have really strong control of the narrative. And what do you expect? Michael Jordan is, isn't just a person. He's more of a myth. He's more of a legend. He's above humans now. He's treated almost like uh, as a greater than life figure. He's a godlike figure almost in sports and in, in the world, just how everyone treats him. I mean, he can't go outside without being mobbed. And Michael Jordan is also a brand. He's a brand, and that brand is, I'm perfect, I'm MJ. There's literally a tagline uh, earlier, and there were a few commercials that were put in that last dance, and it was like, I want to be like Mike, be like Mike. Like, when you look at Michael Jordan, he's treated as this perfect sort of character, and he's obviously not perfect. I'd say Michael Jordan... This documentary made me respect him more as a player, but it made me disrespect him more as a human being. He's not a good teammate. He's, you know, every time every time something negative happens and he's being a bad teammate, he's bullying someone, he's, you know, doing whatever he's doing, pushing people too far, you know, saying that you can't eat because you didn't play well in the game, all that. He does all those things, and he justifies it by saying, oh, it's what it takes to win, and it's all about winning, and if you don't have what it takes to win, then you can't comment on it, and you can't say anything because you've never won anything in your life. And every time something like that happens, he goes on sort of the defensive, and he he starts saying, "Oh, that's how I won, and I was being I was being a bum and treating people poorly, and that's how I won." And that's sort of again, that's sort of like Michael Jordan trying to save his legacy a little bit. He's He's trying to make himself seem perfect when he's obviously not. And he, the way he completely, you know, disregards, there was a playoff game, I'm forgetting the name of the player now, but this player, he came up and he started defending uh, LeBron LeBron James. He started defending Michael Jordan. And this is probably game three, I want to say. And he shut him down, completely shut him down. And they have they have an interview of this player and he's saying and again I'm so sorry I'm forgetting his name but he said if only I had guarded my MJ earlier the series might have ended up different and they ended up losing the series I think it was like 4 to 2 and the thing is Michael Jordan they show him that audio clip of you know the player now who's being interviewed like you know in the future talking about those past events and MJ just laughs it off and he doesn't give the player any credit whatsoever and to me that's disrespectful Michael Jordan is he's not really treating his you know opponents fairly and he's sort of acting like oh I am a god you couldn't have done anything anyway and again it's really arrogant to me the way my MJ like portray is portrayed and he's trying to like almost protect himself in the last dance and I think the show really much really humanized him it brought out his flaws it brought out his gambling it brought out you know his bad teammate his you know, bad you know, relationship with his teammate, his, you know, all that stuff. And and also, like, all the joking with Jerry Cross. He calls him, you know, short and, you know, a short fat man multiple times throughout the documentary. And overall, I, I really like The Last Dance as, you know, a piece of a work of art and a work of filmmaking. I think it's brilliantly done. It's, you know, all the interviews, everything. The way it's put together is amazing. But it's obviously from Michael Jordan's point of view, and it's going to be biased, and it's going to make he's going to make other people look worse if he can prop himself up because that's just MJ, MJ trying to save his own brand. And again, like he, he's not a, he's not a good teammate. He didn't give credit to his opponents for playing good games against him. He throws people under the bus. He consistently, you know, bullies his teammates and all that. So yeah, is it is it biased? Yes, it's it's biased, but. Overall, I don't think that can completely ruin the viewing experience of The Last Dance. For me, like, yeah, I think Michael Jordan is a jerk of a person, but I can acknowledge all this, the work he put into being one of the best, if not the best basketball player of all time. And yes, I mean, I think Michael Jordan, 
is sort of trying to protect his image here in The Last Dance, and I think that's obvious. Again, he had a huge input in the creation process of the documentary, and <laughs> someone like MJ isn't going to, he's not going to join something where he knows he's going to be, you know, portrayed badly. Like, people are saying the gambling, the whole gambling side of the, the equation was pretty light in The Last Dance, and again, I wasn't alive during that, so I can't really comment on it, but again, it wouldn't surprise me if it was light because it's MJ trying to protect his own brand. And overall, it's a great documentary. And yes, it's biased, but for me, it didn't ruin the viewing experience. I strongly recommend you go watch it. It really opened my eyes to, you know, the entire, the entire, you know, the entire process of building the Bulls from Jerry Cross building the roster to all the trades and moves they made to, you know, Steve Kerr's last game-winning shot to win the finals to... You know, interviews with Steve Kerr and, you know, learning about teammates. And it gives you a really deep dive into all of that. And that's something I respect and I really enjoyed watching it. And I honestly really enjoyed having something to watch. There's a lot of, there's a lot of other documentary series coming out soon. And hopefully those are as well made as this documentary. And I think they will be. And again, we're sitting at home quarantined right now. And I think quarantine is about to lift in some states. But overall... I think the amount of documentaries flooding in was is, is nice to see. And it was great to have something like The Last Dance to watch and something that was just straight up phenomenal. So, yeah, that's my take on The Last Dance. I recommend you go watch it if you haven't. It's on ESPN. It's a 10-part series. And, again, it is biased, so take that into it when you're going to watch it. But that doesn't, at least for me, doesn't take away from the viewing experience and learning about the 1990s Chicago Bulls and how great of a team they were and how great of a dynasty that was. So, yeah, Last Dance, great documentary. Go watch it. Now, we have... So, you know, following The Last Dance, there's been a lot of debates. And, again, going into Last Dance, there was a lot of debates as well. The GOAT debate and all that, you know, who's better, Michael Jordan, LeBron James? Is Kobe Bryant in that, you know, that discussion? And even if you look at other sports, you have, you know, if you look at European soccer, it's always, who's better? Ronaldo or Messi? Who's better? Blah, blah, blah. People come up with, you know, countless facts saying, this guy's better, this guy's better. And, you know, every every year there's some stat coming out that, oh, look, Ronaldo's way better. Oh, look, Messi's way better. Oh, look, LeBron's way better. Oh, look, you know, Michael Jordan's way better. He has the championships. And overall for me, Again, this is being talked heavily right now because, you know, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary just ended. And LeBron James has commented on it, and he's obviously watched it. He's tweeted about it multiple times. But the way I see the good debate is it doesn't matter. Like, I don't see the point of arguing the good debate. And lots of people are bashed. Like, I have a friend. He's a Warriors fan. Shout out to Noah. I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but... He said something, he's a huge LeBron fan. He says LeBron's the GOAT. And then I have another friend, a fan, friend, who's a Sixers fan, shout out to Presida. He he says, oh, no, it's Michael Jordan who's better. And they keep going off, going off. They have huge text discussions about it. And they, they, they essentially treat each other like they're stupid. And when it comes to this discussion, the other one has no clue what they're talking about. When in reality, it just doesn't matter. I mean... You can't really compare LeBron and Michael Jordan. Yes, you can compare, compare their accolades. You can compare how many finals they've gone to, how many finals they've won. And basketball is, again, more compared to, like, football or, you know, any other sport. It's more of a, you know, if you have one superstar, it can completely change everything. And in the NFL, I mean, unless you have a star quarterback like someone like Patrick Mahomes, you're not going to really have someone to, who can completely, comp- you know, completely carry the team like you can in basketball with Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And, yeah, that takes, you know, a key precedence and, like, key, you know, discussion point. Like, oh, yeah, it's basketball. It's easier to compare them. But they never played together. They never played in the same era. They never, you know, did anything. And when you look at, like, for example, if you just look at – if you look at LeBron, right? LeBron's probably more athletically gifted, all that, right? But if you put LeBron in the same situation as MJ, same team, same everything, do we really have any difference, like – history-wise, like, do you really see, you know, difference in championships? Do you see any of that? And honestly, I don't see that difference. I think they're both great. And again, you can't compare them. And even if there is a difference, 
you can't really measure. They're not playing in the same era. They're not, you know, they they're not, they don't have the same teams. They're not playing against the same teams. They're nothing similar. I mean, the offensive, the philosophy of the game is different as well. I mean, threes are way more important now than they were back then, you know, 20 years ago. The entire way basketball is played is different. And the GOAT debate, at least in basketball and soccer both, is pointless to me. I mean, the entire time, everyone, every time someone, you know, every time LeBron James plays a game, it's, oh, Michael, Michael Jordan would have done this. Every time Lionel Messi plays a game, it's, oh, Ronaldo could have done that. You can't do that. You're too short. You can't head in a ball. And every time, you know, Ronaldo plays, it's, oh, Messi has better handles than you. He can do this. He can do that. He can do everything that you can't do. Instead of doing that, we should just enjoy these players while we have them, especially for Messi and Ronaldo. Messi, Messi's 32 right now. Ronaldo is 35. LeBron James is 35. I mean, for at least Messi and Ronaldo, we're probably never going to see them play another World Cup. They're probably going to retire maybe in the next, you know, two, three, four years, whoever knows. But we're probably not going to be able to see them play for much longer. So instead of debating and trying to tarnish one another's legacy, just sit down and watch these guys play and enjoy it while we have it because we are probably never going to get a player like LeBron James ever again. And instead of debating, oh, and oh, Michael Jordan's better and he's won more championships and he carried his team and LeBron has choked and all that, instead of arguing that, which is a pointless debate, it's really is pointless, you can't compare them, you, like, instead of doing that, just enjoy the player while we have them. All these players are going to eventually retire. And when they're gone, they're gone. We're not getting them back. And at least in soccer, we have two of the greatest players ever to play in Ronaldo and Messi. LeBron, we have arguably the best player, one of the best players of all time to play. Just sit down and watch them play the game. I plead. I beg of you. Stop the GOAT debate. It's pointless. You can't really compare them. And even for Messi and Ronaldo, you can compare them, I guess, because they are in the same era. But... Again, they're not on the same teams. They're not facing the same opponents. If you put one another on each other's team, is there much of a difference? I don't think so. They're both extremely talented. I just think the GOAT debate's extremely, extremely pointless. And we need to, you know, work on completely just getting out out of sports, the sports world as a whole. I think just sit down and enjoy these players while we have them. Forget the GOAT debate. It's pointless. It just doesn't matter whatsoever. So, yeah, um... The GOAT debate, it's pointless, and I don't want to give it any more discussion because it's just completely a waste of time. Every single time someone debates it, it just gives me an aneurysm. It's just pointless. So, yeah, GOAT debate. Um, my final takeaway, it's a stupid debate, and I guess it's fun, especially when you don't have much to talk about right now. But instead of doing that, just enjoy the players when we have them and start, stop trying to like tarnish one another's legacy. It's just, it's just idiotic. So, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Tom Wolf, Tom Wolf, Tom Wolf's the governor of Pennsylvania, take that back. Tiger Woods, they're not even the same name. What is wrong with me? And Phil Nicholson. So, you have these four legends in their respective sports. And they ended up playing a golf game. I think Tom Brady paired with Phil Nicholson. And you had um, Peyton Manning pairing with Tiger Woods. And it was a charity. They raised $20 million for coronavirus and COVID-19 and all everything that goes for that. So if you want to go donate, just go donate. I recommend you do it. Um, the healthcare workers are kind of flooded, and they don't really have you know masks and all that that they sort of need to you know, keep from getting sick. So if you can donate, do that. But anyway, it was fun to just watch sports again. And I know the UFC has been on. I'm not really a big UFC guy, but... Uh, I watched the highlights from the, those fights. That, that That's cool to see. But I really like just seeing Tom Brady and Payne Manning and, you know, all these guys interact. For me, Manning is just such a great personality. I mean, you saw all this, like, banter being posted between him and Tom Brady and them roasting each other. And it, it was fun to see. Um, Tom Brady, uh, just straight up, uh, I don't think he's a great golf player. And we saw that. He wasn't good at all. But... Manning was surprisingly pretty solid, and I guess Tiger Woods was pretty good. Phil Nicholson was obviously, you know, one of the best as well, along with Tiger Woods. But Manning, uh, Brady, I think, and he said it there, he was like, when is the football season starting again? And I find that hilarious. Like, he admits that he's not good at golf. And 
I, overall, what I take away from this is A, it's fun to watch sports again, but B, Peyton Manning is such a personality. And again, he's retired right now and he has some free time. And if you look at ESPN Monday Night Football, Booger, Booger McFarland, and I think his name is John Territor, um, they both got were fired. They're still having, they still have a role at ESPN, but they're not, they're no longer commentating on Monday Night Football, which is a blessing. Uh, especially, I think Territor, Tessator, whatever his name is, he was fine, but Booger was just so bad. You, you have constant just poor analysis, you know, talking over plays, just poor reactions, just really poor low-level commentating, and it ruined the Monday Night Football experience. I know lots of people just, you know, they'd watch Monday Night Football and they just turn off the broadcast because, you know, they just put it on mute because they just couldn't bear listening to them. I wasn't that bad because I think, you know, any commentating is better than no commentating in my opinion. It at least sort of hypes up the game a little bit. And I think Territory did a pretty solid job at least being excited when it comes to Monday Night Football. But I'm happy they're both gone. But when you look at Monday Night Football, it hasn't really been excited in a while. I mean, you lost John Gruden. He was pretty solid but you haven't you haven't really brought in the numbers and the viewers and you haven't had the games that you've had before on Monday Night Football and Peyton Manning would be I think a perfect Monday Night Football announcer he, again he has he has the mind and he, he you know he can do all the Tony Romo stuff like predicting plays I think he has the humor I think he could easily be a pretty good play-by-play -play guy and I think the way he like his humor and the way he commentates things, and again, like if you if you go on YouTube, you can go watch his um, his SP's mo opening monologue. That was wonderful as well. And again, that's scripted. But I think Tom, I think Peyton Manning could be a wonderful addition to the Monday Night Football club and the duo there. And I think another person would be Pat McAfee. I think those two together would be like phenomenal. It would be fantastic to see them work together. Both of them are just funny. Both of them have, you know, football knowledge. Both of them, I think McAfee could be a great, you know, color commentator. He's not really calling every single play, but he's, you know, he's a good compliment to someone like Manning. I think they both bring phenomenal energy. And I think ESPN should just go out and just give it a try. Why not? What do you have to lose? Because right now the Monday Night Football product is so poor. And getting in someone like Pat McAfee, getting in someone like Peyton Manning, literally one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and one of the greatest broadcasters I think in a while we've seen in Pat McAfee he has a great you know great personality and it's fun to watch him if you go watch the Pat McAfee show it's one of the better shows on the, on the internet when it comes to just sports in general and when you combine those two again it's going to be risky and I don't think this is going to happen you know the people at ESPN are going to go out and hire you know, controversial guys like Pat McAfee and, you know, Peyton Manning probably won't want to sign with Monday Night Football. And it probably won't happen. But I want it to happen just because I think that would be a great duo to have in, you know, the Monday Night Football press booth, just calling every single Monday Night Football game and making it exciting again. Because there's been a couple more exciting Monday Night Football games this year. And I hope that we can get some exciting commentating as well behind that. And I think Peyton Manning and Pat McAfee will do a great job at that. Pat McAfee, he just adds, you know, the comedy that you want. You're able to laugh when you watch him play, and I think Manning could do the same thing. And I think he'd be a great analyzer of the game. Again, he was, you know, a top three quarterback of all time. I think he will analyze the game in a way that some most other people can't analyze it. And I think they'll, they'll bounce off each other really well. So, again... This is all from one golf game where I saw Peyton Manning, you know, roast Tom Brady multiple times, and it was funny to watch. But I think Manning versus McAfee would be a great duo in the press booth. So ESPN, please make it happen, but I doubt it will. And I want to talk on talk about so Aaron Rodgers. He had a press conference recently with Packers Media Online because every all these press conferences are online now, and he. He's he, he was asked a lot of questions about the Packers drafting quarterback from Utah State, Jordan Love in the first round, to obviously be his replacement in the future. And Aaron Rodgers handled it phenomenally. I think you can tell he sort of learned from his experiences of, you know, being drafted to replace, you know, a franchise guy who's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And 
his experiences from 15 years ago, are, I think, are are you know referencing what he's saying now and impacting what he's saying now. And he says it multiple times. You could tell the media was trying to get him to say something stupid and go off and rip the Packers for the move and you know go off on Jordan Love and you know all that. But he didn't do that. In fact, Aaron Rodgers handled it really maturely, really well. I mean, it was one of the best press conferences I've seen in a while. And he says something like along the lines of, I can't blame Jordan Love for being drafted here because he didn't choose to be drafted here. And again, that just shows me the experience. He went through the same situation, Aaron Rodgers, backing up Brett Favre and being drafted to replace Brett Favre when Brett Favre still had a couple years on his, you know, on his in his career and he did say he was surprised and obviously he wasn't thrilled and he but he also said something that's important he understands it from the organizational point of view that they have to think about not only the, the not only the present and winning now but also the future and winning in the future and you know people asked him the reporters asked him how you're going to treat him and he's like i'm going to treat him as well as the same way as i've treated all my other backup quarterbacks and you know, he, he references playing with Scott Tolzien and Matt Flynn and, you know, still being able to talk to those guys, you know, pretty often and having overall great relationships with them. And when I look at Aaron Rodgers, the way he handled this press conference to me was amazing. He says he's friends with all his backups and he didn't, he, he didn't get asked to sort of, you know, he didn't get asked to join the Packers. That's what he said specifically about Jordan Love. And he also says, I'm excited to work with him. And uh, I can he, like, I can understand what he's saying, like Aaron Rodgers. For me, that's excellent way of just crafting his words. Like he's saying, I understand what, like he didn't choose to be here. But I can also say I'm not really happy about the decision, but I can understand the decision. And the way I say it, you can't really portray Aaron Rodgers in a negative light. There's been a lot of, you know, People going off saying that he's saying bad things about Aaron Rodgers, you know. And some of those are probably warranted, especially with his time with Mike McCarthy, especially late with his time with Mike McCarthy. And they seem to really, you know, not be playing well together and not working well together. And there was some Matt LaFleur drama earlier on where Matt, uh, Aaron Rodgers wanted some more ability to, you know, be able to call audibles at the line and all that. And, again, that's something – that's just another completely different story. But recently there's been a lot of slander about Aaron Rodgers in the media. And this press conference, after all that, he comes back and hits it out of the park. He understands Jordan Love's point of view. He understands the organization's point of view. And then he also says, I, I can understand why they did this, but I can make this decision a difficult one by playing my best and being, you know, taking care of myself and being the best person and best player I can be. And to me, that's just another straight, just another straight fire line from Aaron Rodgers. Like, again, he understands Jordan Love's point of view because he went through it. He understands the organization's point of view because, again, he it's the organization's job to you know prep for the future and the present. And then he also says, "But I can do my best to make this decision a difficult one." I, I just, I, I don't know. Everything Aaron Rodgers has said here, I just. I, I can't hate on any of it. It's just phenomenal. And I just, uh, he was talking about motivation and he says, I've never needed a ton of external motivation. And for me, that, that just speaks to up to like who he is as a person. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is just a heavily motivated guy, a motivated guy. He's talked about, he talked about in the interview about how he's, he's gotten back into his normal throwing routine and he's trying to, you know, keep players accountable and he was also asked about the Packers not drafting wide receivers and he said he only said the most positive things about these guys he was talking about like Alan Lazard and Devontae Adams and how you know Alan Lazard made a huge leap forward and he was only talking up these guys like Economia St. Brown and Marcus Valdez Scantling he, he only said positive things he didn't you know bash the front office for not drafting wide receivers he said I think this is giving the wide receiver room we have right now a huge vouch of confidence by not drafting anyone in the draft. And again, like Packers fans are probably going to disagree with me on this. And I think they should have drafted a wide receiver as well. But Aaron Rodgers, everything he said, he didn't really bet, go off against the organization, didn't go off against Jordan Love. And he was asked multiple times leading questions that would have definitely led to answers about him, you know, going off and 
going off on a tangent and tearing and ripping into these guys, but he just doesn't. And I, I don't know. I just Aaron Rodgers to me, the way he handled this press conference, it's it's amazing. I I, I liked everything he said, and he also said something interesting. And I think this goes on along with him saying he's not really thrilled about the pick, but he understands it. He said the difference between his situation and Brett Favre's situation is that Brett Favre was talking about retirement, and Aaron Rodgers has openly said he wants to play in his 40s. And recently we have, you know, my entire time, every time I've last, you know, ever since I've started following football, there's been times where I'm like, oh, these, this guy's definitely going to retire with his team. Philip Rivers is definitely going to retire with the Chargers. Tom Brady is definitely going to retire with the Patriots, you know, all of that. And when you look at it, Philip Rivers is no longer on the Chargers. He's on the Colts. When you look at it, Tom Brady's, which is shocking, Tom Brady's no longer on the Patriots. He's on the Bucks. And if you look at those things, at least the Tom Brady side, Tom Brady left because he, the Patriots weren't giving him what he wanted. They weren't giving him, you know, offensive weapons and all that, personnel control, whatever it might be. But, Aaron Rodgers is also giving the same thing here. And you can make an argument, yeah, like they might have not had to draft a wide receiver, but they probably should have drafted a receiver. They aren't really giving him weapons. They, you know, drafted his replacement instead of helping the team now when they're in, you know, a win-now mode after making an NFC championship game. You can make those arguments, and I would not be surprised if in two years Aaron Rodgers is playing with a different team and he ends up winning a Super Bowl with that team. Because I think Aaron Rodgers should leave the Packers as soon as possible and go to a team that he can, you know, a team that's willing to build around him. Cause right now the Packers, I don't think they're willing to build around him. He, they wasted almost a decade of his career with Mike McCarthy being completely useless. And Matt LaFleur didn't really, they didn't really do much to help him in this off season. So I think it's best for Tom Brady to uh, or Aaron Rodgers to just, you know, go off and go wherever he can. And I, I just think it's great to see, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future and whether or not Aaron Rodgers will leave. Because I think, again, like I said, I think that's the move for him. That's definitely the big, the biggest and the best move he could make for his career and that gives him the greatest chance of winning another championship. Because Aaron Rodgers is probably the most athletically gifted quarterback of all time, and he's been wasted in Green Bay, and I want him to go to a team where he will no longer be wasted. And... Just finishing off uh, on the way Aaron Rodgers is, was portrayed and what I took away from this, I think he's just a great guy. He talked about, you know, the lesser fortunate people who are losing, you know, work and their houses because of coronavirus. And to me, that was just something, it was just great to see him talk about that. Especially as somebody who's, you know, he's a millionaire, but he's still willing to talk about those issues. And... He did mention something interesting. He talked about a documentary with Brett Favre, and he doesn't mention about whether it's being released anytime soon. But I want to see that documentary because I just want to see the interaction between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. They've they've been well known to be almost enemies until I think the ESPYS a couple years ago, where they had a famous handshake on stage, or whatever it might have been. And after that, they've sort of gotten closer. But for most of like the last decade, these guys have you know haven't been buddies, and now. And Rodgers is walking to Brett Favre's house and he's recording a documentary with him. And I want to see how that goes and if it's actually going to be something, you know, worth watching. Um, yeah, overall, I just enjoyed everything Aaron Rodgers said. He didn't really alienate the, the you know, the franchise. He didn't really alienate um, Jordan Love. He didn't really do anything bad. He... He talked about it from his point of view, but it wasn't really like going after anyone. It was just more like, yeah, I mean, I can understand it, but I'm not really happy about it. And he did talk about, you know, potentially leaving the Packers, and I, I think he should leave the Packers. And overall, he, I just, Aaron Rodgers to me is the greatest quarterback that I've watched with my two eyes, and I hope he can succeed. And I think he's bound for a huge bounce back year in 2020. And just be on the watch out for Aaron Rodgers, because. Again, he's back in the throwing, throwing with his wide receivers now. He's working out, doing all that, being accountable for himself. And again, he's not like a heavily externally motivated guy. He has the internal motivation to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, to play the game. And just beware of Aaron Rodgers because he's going to go out there and he's going to tear things up. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, watch out for him. And finally, um, 
I have a film analysis for Jan Rager, so uh, this is going to be a separate piece. I'm going to have, at least for the YouTube people, you're going to watch the actual tape as I'm breaking it down. Uh, there might be some background music on there, depending on how well, uh, whether or not I want to make myself sound like I'm smart and know what I'm talking about. And yeah, I'm going to cut to that right now, and here you go. When you look at the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles offense and what they were lacking, there's no real secret about what it was, and it really comes down to one simple word, speed. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize that the speed that Deshaun Jackson brought with him week one was completely and utterly game-breaking for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Without it, they were not the same team. In fact, if you really want to see the effect that the loss of Deshaun Jackson had on this offense, just go look at the numbers. In 2019, the Philadelphia Eagles finished 27th in passing yards per completion with 9.7. And if you look at the top five teams in that stat, Tampa Bay, Dallas, Kansas City, Tennessee, and Seattle, all of them have pretty comparable things when it comes to the fact that they all have wide receivers that get, have, guess what? Speed. So when the Philadelphia Eagles selected Jalen Rager, the wide receiver from TCU, with the 21st pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, I was kind of shocked by the responses from Eagles fans. Many were disappointed that we didn't draft Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU, who ended up going a couple picks later to the Minnesota Vikings. And I can understand why. All you have to do is look at the stat line. And when you look at Justin Jefferson and his 111 grabs and 1,540 yards, 18 touchdowns last year with LSU and you look at Jalen Rigor's 43 grabs for 611 yards and five touchdowns I can understand the disappointment Justin Jefferson is bigger he's put up better numbers he played with the flashier quarterback on the flashier team and he has better hands and he's more physical yeah all those things are true but the one thing that Jalen Rigor has that Justin Jefferson can never have is true game-breaking elite speed. The type of speed that keeps defensive coordinators up at night. I want to do a deep dive into what Joan Rager brings to the Philadelphia Eagles, both the positive things and some of the not-so-positive things. So let's jump right into it. Pure speed, Joan Rager has it. And it's that simple. Lots of fans are going to criticize me for saying that he's fast. Uh, they obviously have not watched game tape. Yes, he ran a slow uh, 40 time at 4.47, but when you look at how he plays, he runs way faster than that. And lots of people don't know that he actually bulked up to go to the combine, and when he ran that 40 time, he was around 10 pounds heavier than what his playing weight was probably around. He weighed in at around 206 pounds at the combine, and he's probably going to weigh more around 195 when it comes to his playing time. And when it comes down to that, he also is reported to have ran a 4-2-2 at his unofficial pro day. And those were with hand timers, so you take that with whatever grain of salt you will. But Joan Regor is fast. I'd say he's definitely not 4-4-7 slow. Or that's not even slow, but he's definitely not that slow. And he's probably not 4-2-2 fast. I'd say he hovers around probably low 4-3, so like 4-3 to 4-3-4 range-ish. He's fast. That's all you need to know. When you look at this first play against Ohio State, and granted this was called back due to penalty, you can still see how much faster he is. He completely outruns his teammates on the way to the end zone, and that is the type of speed he can bring to this team. If you look at this play against Texas, the DB is giving him 8 yards of cushion, and he eats it up extremely fast, and he actually beats the defender and gets more than just a step on him. He has almost a yard or two of separation on this DB. And this play against Texas isn't the sole occurrence of this. This film is littered with plays where he's completely burning past DBs. If you look at this game against Texas back in 2018, he doesn't even need the speed entirely to completely beat the DB. He runs a good sluggo and he's, his sluggos are one of the best routes he runs actually in his route tree. And the speed he possesses is just completely unnecessary almost on this play. He's beaten the DB not only with great route running, but with that elite deep speed that he possesses. On this play against Oklahoma State, he beats the DB with another exceptional route on this stop and go. 
And again, the speed is almost an afterthought here. He beat the DB so badly with this elite level route right here. And the speed, you, you just look at the separation. He has like five yards of separation on this DB. And if the quarterback doesn't underthrow the ball that much, he wouldn't even have to have high pointed this ball the way he had to here. And he would have had an easy touchdown. And this throw is indicative of Jalen Rager's season and the quarterback play he had to deal with. Quarterback Max Duggan was a freshman this year and throws like these were really common and it did not help Jalen Rager's production. He could have upped his total on this play alone by 40 yards and maybe a touchdown with a great throw and that's what he didn't get and you can go check out Brett Coleman's video. He does this topic way more justice than I ever could. Jalen Rager isn't just a one-trick pony, however, this speed can also translate really well to burst and being able to make plays in open field, and that's something Jalen Rager excels at. When you look at this play against Ohio State, it's a simple screen, and he's able to make a really nice cut immediately and cut, cut it back uh, into the sideline. And you can see that burst where he's almost running away from these guys and if the sideline wasn't there he probably would have gotten way more than what he got here on this play against texas he just runs a quick hitch puts his left foot in the ground and explodes off of it and you can see he beat that first db extremely easily and it took multiple guys to actually take him down at the end of this he has that burst and his ability to make plays in open field. And this might actually be Jalen Rigger's biggest asset and the best thing he brings to the Philadelphia Eagles. His ability to make the first man miss is really impressive. On this play against Oklahoma State, it ends up being another screen and he gets the ball and first thing he does, boom, cut, makes the first guy completely whiff on him, makes the first two guys whiff on him, and his momentum actually carries him out and he ends up falling because of it, but still extremely impressive. Speed is a defensive coordinator's nightmare and what Joan Rigger brings on the speed front and his elusiveness helps essentially warp the defense and his ability to be used in pre-snap motion is something pretty underrated actually. You see on this play against Texas that actually ended up losing yards, but he is used on handoffs pretty often actually, and if you literally stop the play the minute you see the quarterback hand the ball fall, fall off, and even before that, you see all the linebackers shifting to the left side. Literally everyone's running that way, and it's a great tackle by the linebacker. But again, Joe Rigger helps pretty much change the flow of the defense. On this play against West Virginia, Jalen Rigger ends up getting the handoff as well and ends up pitching it. But if luck, he makes the entire defense commit to rushing that left side and it's an easy gain for his wide receiver that he pitched it to. And if you keep an tally on most of these plays, he's having eight yards of separation between him and the DB and he's burning through a lot of it as well. He's gonna have a lot of defensive backs playing off of him because of what he can do. And that could really play mind games in the defense. So he's also adding that sort of mind game type of mentality and that functionality for the Eagles offense in 2020. Rigor isn't just speed and elusiveness in open field though. He also has some abilities to make some physical catches. And if you see this play against West Virginia, he, the defensive back is all over him on this slant and he's able to catch it through contact. And not only does he do that, but he also shakes the tackler off of him. And he does end up fumbling here, but the fumbles aren't really an issue in his game. That's just more of him getting you know, quadruple team. But he has the ability to make those physical contested grabs when needed. And against this play against Texas, he's running a goal line fade almost. And not almost, that's exactly what he's running. And again, Rigor isn't a big guy. He's a hair under six foot and maybe 195. Maybe even 190 when he's playing against this uh, team at that point of time. But he has that ability to physically high point the ball. And you can use him in the red zone when needed. He has the speed and elusiveness to also do that when needed. But he can go up there and make contested grabs as well. And I think this play against Oklahoma State really summarizes this. Again, it's a poor throw by the quarterback and he has to adjust after he's beaten the DB. And you can see him just go up there, fight through the contact 
and he goes down with it. He high points the ball, and the DB tries to make contact late and knock it out, and Brigger has the stable hands to go up and make that grab. Now on this play against West Virginia, you see him running a go route. He does an inside jab with his left foot initially, and then he has enough speed to beat the defensive back. And it's, again, a pretty poor throw almost, not really leading him, but he goes up there, fights with the contact that the DB initiates on him, and again, he high points the ball and comes down with it. It's a skill that he possesses. And you may say those are just some no-name DBs, but here you see him doing it against Ohio State, against the third overall pick, Jeff Akuda, where he runs a dig route, and it's not the best route, I will give you that. It's not the best route whatsoever. But he fights through the contact that Jeff Okuda is making. Jeff Okuda has his hands on the ball. And he has the tight hands and the strong hands to pull it in from him. And again, Joe Rigger has that ability to make you know, those contested grabs and be physical. That being said, again, he's only 5'11 five foot, five foot and around 195 pounds. He's not going to really bowl over guys. This isn't, like, this isn't like a Megatron type of receiver here or or DeAndre Hopkins, he's not going to break many tackles. That way, he's gonna if he causes missed tackles, it's because of his elusiveness. So the physicality-wise, he's physical when it comes to catching the ball, and he has that tool, a tool in his arsenal, but he's not physical when it comes to after the catch. Joan Rigger also gives you the ability to put him back there and have him return some kicks, and this return kick against... Well, West Virginia was pretty remarkable, actually. He, you know, backpedals and weaves his way through defensive players like it's nothing. And then you see that burst to get away from the last guy. Again, he has the ability to return punts, and he returned two for touchdowns in his uh, latest campaign in 2019. So Philly wants to put him back as a punt returner. He can do that, and he might even break one every couple years. Now, Rigger is an old Sunshine and Rainbows. He does have a slight drop issue. I'd say it's more concentration drops, and he just sort of turns upfield before he actually gets his hands on the ball. See, on this play against Texas, he's running a wide receiver screen, and his hips are turned away from the ball. They're turned upfield, and he drops it. Again, he's more concentrated on turning upfield than he is catching the ball. And this isn't like a normal occurrence. It, it does happen sometimes. It happened here as well on this another, another play against West Virginia where he turns up field before he actually gets his hands on the ball. Again, these are more concentration issues, and I think he can definitely clear those up. You do get the occasional drop here that he shouldn't. You can't really chart up to concentration drops. This play against Texas, he has the defender beat, and it's a dime by the quarterback actually and he just drops the over shoulder throw so he does have those drop issues and he did have the third worst catch percentage in college football last year he had a 16.4 percent drop rate in nine drops last year and again that's not the best thing you want to see in a player of his caliber and especially his draft capital but I think that this is something that can easily be ironed out if he puts his mind to it and, you know, has less concentration issues and he actually catches the ball before he runs. And when you look at Rigor, though, for every one of these drops he has, he has another remarkable catch. Here's a play against Damon Arnett, another first-round corner from Ohio State, and he, he beats him off the line on the deep uh, on the deep route, uh, over deep nine it is, and then he makes an incredible one-handed grab and he has incredible catches like these for all the bad drops he has he has you know positive potential and negative potential if he works on the drops he could be amazing and if he doesn't work on the drops well then it's an issue but he also has the ability to make some remarkable grabs so that's what you're getting when you get joan rigor this is just going to be a quick side note his blocking is pretty horrendous he shows really nice willingness to block and he's not like shying away from contact but he takes really poor angles and he consistently whiffs you can see this block against literally anybody this block against Ohio State and completely whiffs on the defender and takes a bad angle and he does this repeatedly his film is littered with these types of poor block attempts when he does get his hands on you he does show again pretty good willingness to block and he has the ability to be an 
okay blocker, but he's not bringing much to the Philadelphia Eagles offense blocking-wise. And again, you're not drafting a player of his caliber to come in and be an elite run blocker. No, you're drafting him to bring speed, and he brings more than enough speed to this offense. Now, an overall summary, uh, I really like this pick. He brings elite speed to the offense that they previously didn't have. And he has the ability to make, you know, make the first guy miss. He has the ability to make contested catches when he has to. He has the ability to just completely juke people and run past them. He has the ability to return kicks. And again, he does have some drop issues. He needs to iron those out. His blocking isn't good. His route running, it's not something I really touched on here, but I really like his slants, his sluggos, his most of his deep routes. He's pretty, he has the nuances down for those routes, I'd say. The rest of them, they need some polishing and ironing out, and his route running on almost the rest of the route tree is not as polished as it is for the slants and the rest of the, the deep, deep routes. But overall, it's something he can work on. And the problem with John Rager is it's all things that can be fixed by good coaching and him putting in the work. And when I look at a player comp, I think his ceiling and the best case scenario for Jalen Rager, I see an Odell Beckham with slightly more speed, but also slightly less explosive good catches. I think Odell Beckham is not completely out of the range of possibilities for him. And when I look at his worst case scenario, I see a faster Nelson Aguilar. So if he can, you know, surpass those expectations of Nelson Aguilar and put together, you know, closer to Odo Beckham. And I, again, again, I'm not saying he's going to be an Odo Beckham, but that's just what I'm seeing on film. I see an Odo Beckham light player and I see Nelson Aguilar type problems. So overall, I'd grade this pick a solid B+. I really like what the Eagles did here, and I know lots of fans are going to dislike this pick just because Justin Jefferson is, again, flashier, more well-known, and he played with a bigger on a bigger school with a better quarterback on the biggest stage in college sports. I can understand it, but for the needs that the Philadelphia Eagles needed and the needs they had, I think Joe Rigger was the best pick they could have made. So, um, thanks for watching that, um, if you did watch that film analysis, and if you didn't, well, thanks for watching the rest of this and listening to this. Um, that's it for this show, episode two of the Tale of Sports podcast. Uh, leave, like, submit, subscribe, do all that fun stuff, and peace out, bye, adios, and thank you.